This is a presentation of Dawn Forge Productions. You're listening to Group Quest, episode 19. Quick, close the rift before it's too late. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash quest. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Doghouse Systems. Visit them at doghousesystems.com and get a $25 Jinx gift code when you use the code word Azeroth. That's doghousesystems.com. Upgrade your gear today. Welcome to Group Quest, the new roundtable podcast from all things Azeroth, your World of Warcraft podcast. Join Medros as he gathers a strong group of voices from around the community to tackle the hottest topics of the month. And now, your host, Medros. And welcome back to another exciting and very thrilling and very full group of uh, questers today on Group Quest, your roundtable podcast discussing the world of Warcraft and no, no rift, no, no rift ever, no, no, no. So um, I have with me, uh, like I said, a, a larger group than usual, but uh, some great voices. First off, uh, we have somebody who's new to Group Quest podcast. We have uh, Azros, formerly uh, a long time ago of Taverncast. And uh, how you doing there, Azros? Great. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, we also have MacGyver. Hi. Thanks very much for having me. Glad to have you. We have Gazimov from the Obscure Cast. Hello there. Good to be here. Well, good to have you. We also have Nevik James of the Overlords podcast. So this is what a WoW podcast feels like. Yes. No Firefly, no drinking. No beer and Hulu. No. <laughs> yeah. No question about what you're drinking because it's not really part of the show, you know. We may talk about Word and Lore, though, just because I, I think I owe you for that. So. All right. We also have Razor Bug. How you doing, Razor? Hey, I'm fine. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Glad to have you here. So we have a lot of, uh, a lot of news to talk about this week. Um some really surprising information that I don't think a lot of people were expecting to hear came out the last uh, few days here, and that is that uh, the 4.1 uh, patch will have no raid content. What do you guys think about that? Not Yay. surprising. Not surprising at all. I mean, they really over-tweaked the initial tier, and I can see they're, they're complaining that players aren't advanced enough, but I think that's kind of a nasty push-off for over-tweaking at the beginning. I'm really excited about it, just because uh, it it's reminding me back to when we used to get content patches without having to introduce raid tiers back in vanilla. And yeah. I, I'm excited about it because the possibility of getting a patch every maybe two or three months is far more reasonable if they're not, you know, tuning a raid tier for all of us. And, and they really really shot themselves when they released TOC when Alduar 
hadn't been finished. And I, th- I think they've learned from that lesson. I mean, it's not like there's a lack of uh, content in the in the PTR. Though. I mean, there's so many other things in there. It's uh, it's not it's not like it's a, a an easy cheap update, is it? It's um, it's just uh, as someone in the chat saying, it's just a postponement of of pushing on the next tier. But it's not a postponement. I mean, why why would they need to postpone it when um, you know majority of the player base hasn't gotten through that raid content yet? You know, it's I. I would much rather them go this direction, you know, release uh, content patches to, you know, for everyone or, well, for, you know, a focused group rather than, you know, push something out before it's ready. But there's still going to be two huge dungeons, though. It's not like there's no new, you know, group content like that. And for as much as people are complaining about it being a retread and, you know, using old content again if you look at the the boss fights that are in there and the changes they've made to za and zg there it's like it's the same instance but it's completely different it's all completely different stuff i think it might just be a perception in the minds of people they're saying oh well they're not releasing any raid tiers and and we've come to expect new raid tiers with every patch practically because we only had three major patches in wrath and every single one of them had a raid tier and they're also saying oh well Normally you'd say, oh, well, there's no raid tier, but oh, at least we get a couple of new dungeons. And then people go, well, no, we aren't. We're getting these rehashed in inverted commas dungeons, even though nobody's really seen them yet and, and we sort of haven't got final details on what's been changed. And nobody's really run them through on live or everything. But people go, oh, it's rehashed, it's rehashed, because they are old dungeons that have been redone. And yeah, so you've I got that twofold you've got that twofold thing where people are going, oh, there's no new raid content and we're getting old stuff that's been redone. They're jipping us. They're not giving us, you know, what we paid for. And yeah, it's just a perception un- thing. I can understand where the, the, the fear around this whole rehash comes in. One of the things that kind of worries me about it was that it, I kind of see it as a different thing to Dead Minds and Shadowfang Keep in that... We, we kind of always see those two dungeons with rose-tinted glasses because last time we did them was around level 20 back in Vanilla, and they were great back then, and we never kind of ran them into the ground. With Zolgarub especially, it being the first kind of slimline raid tier in Vanilla, a fair group of us were running that uh, dungeon into the ground at that time doing it twice a week, week in, week out, and hitting Exalted, getting every single scrap of loot from there. I just get nervous when people say, okay, we're going to put two new heroic dungeons in, involving zones where you've already done the content heavily there before, even though they say we're revamping the the bosses' fights in there and uh, and so on, and it, um, extending the storyline for those instances it kind of makes you feel a bit wary that you're in there before doing a heavy grind and you're going to be back in there again potentially doing a heavy grind if you want to maximize either your valor point intake or your maelstrom crystal intake but i'm most excited about just the whole continuation of the storylines you know um the revamped northern uh northern strangle fail um leads you back into zg and it felt incomplete so it, it makes sense for them to update the storyline and bring us back to Zolgarub and what's changed and everything. And I'm, I, I'm really excited about this prospect because 
now now they can release content, you know, furthering the storyline and hopefully the politics, especially of the Horde and the Alliance, uh, without having to introduce a new raid tier. You know, we, we could we could get this um, fluid, evolving storyline in, you know, five or six patches as opposed to just three and then have to wait six or eight months between patches. I I would much prefer them to do it this way. Oh, yeah, don't get yeah. me wrong. From a storyline point of view, I'm all for it. And to, to find out what's ha been happening there in the four or five years since we last visited the place, I'm, I'm really interested in that, and I could really go for it. From a practical point of view and from a, okay, what's my play schedule and rating schedule going to start looking like, it, it puts me on edge a bit. I, I sort of wonder, this being a bit of a conspiracy theory here, but I always wonder if with all the data mining going on and uh, with all the, the, the distribution of new content so quickly as soon as it's on the PTR these days, whether Blizzard isn't tempted to not put things in the PTRs or, or to maybe hide them better or, or even throw in fake uh, breadcrumbs and then I, actually surprises them when the actual thing comes out. I have no doubt that they are. I have no doubt that they are tempted to do that. I guarantee that they would, they would love to keep everything as secret as it can be for as long as possible. But just for practical reasons, you just can't have things go out there and not have it tested. I mean, things are being tested and yet people still complain, oh, you know, these instances are buggy and this is terrible and so on. So I think if things went out there and they were untested, regardless of how much of a store, I mean, it, it would have been awesome to to have, you know, a new a new encounter and say, oh, wow, there really is a surprise at the end, you know. There really is a secret boss that nobody knew about until it was done, but I don't think it can be done these days. Well, they just announced it, well, I don't know, it must have been last night, that there's stuff in there that we haven't, that people haven't data mined yet. So, like, where what used to be Jindo is now going to be a special boss that you can only unlock if you have a certain level of archaeology, which I think stuff like that is pretty cool, that they're coming out before... The stuff is data mined to hell from, you know, the different sites that are out there. If they're a little preemptive on that to let people know before, you know, the speculation hell begins, I think that's definitely helpful. Definitely, and I'm I'm interested. I mean, uh, MacGyver posted a, a a link in our uh, show notes here from RestoKen, um, basically showing when pat like what the patch cycle has been like for World of Warcraft, and we see patches here that are a month apart uh, in the early vanilla. Up until recently, um, when you know, say Burning Crusade, the last, you know patch 2.3 was in November 2007. The next patch wasn't until March 2008, and then Wrath of the Lich King got was even even lengthier between patches. Um, you know, being you know six seven months between patches. Um, I for one want to go back to that old history of more frequent patches, even. You know, the, the early vanilla days, the first two patches that were content patches had only essentially five-man dungeons. Um, we're getting two five-man dungeons in this one. So uh, that's bonus to us, in my opinion. And it's it yes, it doesn't in, involve raid content, but raiders aren't the only ones out there. Um, this, is, this is content we've seen before, but they're throwing new things in there like the the minimum archaeology for the edge of madness bosses um and and that kind of stuff it, it's it's rehashed but it's rehashed and redone 
which I think is the key point that a lot of people are missing. It's not just the um, ju not just the ability to have a content we've seen before. It's that they're redoing it and you know improving it. I think. What do you guys think? There's no reason for a new raid tier right now. I mean, the f world first glory of the Cataclysm Raider just happened. What yesterday? Yeah. There's, and there's there's no reason for it yet. If there are, if the cutting edge guilds are still working on heroic content, and you know if you're looking to have Firelands out in you know let's say a month, there's there's no reason for that. It's the same thing over and over. Maybe they overtuned it before, but if they have the time, and they can just push out ways to make it more friendly for people to get into raids by adding in you know mid level dungeons like that, go for it. You know, spread it out as much as you can. Yeah, I think and part of what. Big, part, oh, sorry. Go I was going to say the key here is um, to for people to get past that expectation that just because 4.1 is going to not include any raid content that we're 4.2 isn't going to be right around the corner. Uh, there was a blue post specifically stating that 4.2 was going to go on the PTR shortly thereafter 4.1 was released. So, I mean, you're only looking at maybe a month and a half, maybe two months max between the time yeah. that 4.1 drops and 4.2 drops. I always found it really interesting when people were saying that, oh, Cataclysm is going to be really short, really quick, because uh, we managed to get the first uh, real, world first level 85 within, I think it was two days of uh, Cataclysm coming out. But from, my, from what I can see, the, this tier of raiding has lasted the longest that I remember any tier of raiding outside of vanilla lasting without requiring a content patch. So I think they've got the tuning fairly fairly well there uh, and people aren't complaining of being bored with the tier yet either they're not saying that it's it's stretched uh, too far or they're experiencing tier burnout at this so, point in wrath people were slitting wrists because they'd farm next to hell exactly so I, I, as far as cataclysm's first tier of ratings concerned i think tick in the box they've done a good job and i agree they don't need to release firelands yet um it's just and i would like to wait and see what these new heroic instances alike because I do know that the people who feel they need to maximize every single um, scrap of what they're doing will end up blitzing these new heroics into oblivion so but yeah I'd like to wait and see what happens but yeah definitely they don't need firelands yet there'd be a hell of a lot more fallout if uh, they tried if they released something before they'd actually fi finished it then there would be people uh, QQing yeah which is exactly what happened with Alderman. Do you guys well, think that? Gonna... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say I think what you probably find is that um, Firelands, for the most part, will probably be ready to go um, because what they'll have been doing is, is they'll have been building it and planning for it even before the Cata launch, and so the development time they probably expected to release it about now, but they've decided, well, no, we'll just hold it off for a little while and, and let people catch up with the latest raids here, and that'll give them time to do even more bug checks and fixing and all of that sort of stuff. So, But I, I reckon if they were to release it today, it would probably still be ready to go, but um, they're holding it yeah. back just for, for progression reasons. So. They said at BlizzCon that they were going to put a new five-man outside of Throne of the Tides for 4.1, and there's been no word about that, so I don't know if that'll be... I'm sure that's not coming with Firelands, but maybe that'll be something in 4.3 or, or something else. I think yeah. the, the common rumors I've seen on that is that 4.2 now will probably have Firelands and the War of the Ancients, uh, Caverns of Time Raid. Both of them? That seems that, pretty heavy. Yep. 
I would expect that, and and the reason for that would be because of the cast of legendary stuff. I can see you having to go there to do the legendary stuff, but to have two full tier raids come out in the same patch—that's kind of counter to what they're talking well, they've, about. They've they've done it with um, with this current tier of raiding, where you've got uh, Blackrock Descent, Throne of the Four Winds, and oh, it just has to be smaller. You mean? I got you. Yeah, yeah. So the, those uh, so uh, Firelands and Defense of the Ancients will be. Um, Two smaller dungeons will make up that uh, one, that second tier of raiding. Do you guys think that the next tier of raiding will, you know, the barometer of how difficult it is will be how quickly we see our first um, caster legendary fully completed? It sounds like it's going to be multiple steps, like Shadowmorn was. So if there's going to yeah. be pieces of it that require them to get. You know, whatever that, you know, if it's going to be a Ragnaros killer, whatever the the last part of it's going to be, it's going to take a while. It's not going to be, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to happen super quick. Well, yeah. when you think about I, something like Shadowmorn, it was, you'd probably find that if, if people had been allowed to go at it at their own pace, they probably could have done it a lot quicker. But they've... I won't say artificially because it's just part of the game mechanics, but they put in place certain restrictions that say, well, okay, you need to pick up a thousand frost shards from wherever in order to activate it and go on to the next step of creating the, the piece. Now, you can only gather so many of those shards per raid and you can only raid so many times per week in the same dungeon. So there are things in place that, that slow that down. And they'll, they'll have tuned that to say, okay, well, this is, this is the maximum that somebody can get in, in whatever the progress is to make this particular item. And they'll have tweaked it so that the length of time that they want people to create that stuff is about what it is attainable at, I think you'll find. Yeah, that's exactly it. The, the first stage to create the eye at the top of the staff will require you to farm items from the Firelands uh, raid instance. From there, you'll need to obtain an actual stick itself uh, and so on. And then there are further phases, even once you've assembled the first step of the staff to create the second step of it and then the final stage. And it's all intertwined with both the Bronze Dragon Flight and the, um, the Firelands and uh, the Ancients uh, raid as well. So it's the whole storyline. It, it promises to be quite epic from, from what I've read so far. Do you guys think it will be, you know, unusable until that final step is done? Because we do see equipable three different stages of this legendary. I think that you'll have uh, a first stage that's usable straight away and will be equivalent as an to epic, that tier of rating. Yeah, as an epic. And it'll, be use, it'll have the same kind of stats as an epic of that tier. And then you'll bolster it up to kind of like a heroic version. And then the final version will be a legendary, which might stretch all the way through to the end of Cataclysm raiding. So it'll be a little bit like having Shadow's Edge as a stepping point to Shadow Mine. Yeah, exactly. Or Shadow's Edge uh, is still a really nice weapon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think they'll make it so that you need to have one of the stages of the item in order to access the next level of content? or that I doubt it. I don't know that you could do that with 10-man rating. I mean, if they're going to, because it's going to be accessible for about 10 and 25. So if, you know, in the odd 
kind of composition that you don't have someone that would use whatever this caster's staff is versus you know a mace or whatever another caster would use. I don't think you can gate it by requiring that people in the raid have that because that'll screw pugs over. The, there, there's ripple effects on that all over. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of the, the the possible caverns of time, War of the Ancients, do you think that we'll find out? Whether or not Nurse Dormu is the aspect of the infant dragon flight as well. No. I don't see why not. Nah, I don't think we no. will. I, I don't I think, think that's. I, I think the answers about the bronze dragon flight are actually going to be in the next expansion. I reckon we're going to get uh, a lot of hints and we're going to get a lot of pointers and a lot of clues, but I actually think that um, uh, the bronze dragon flight and the infinite dragon flight being intertwined is going to be something that will be addressed in the next expansion, and that'll be a, like a main focus. How can they not have a, a big part in taking down Deathwing eventually, though? I mean, all the dragon oh, flights are going to have to taking, Yeah, they'll have a big part in taking down Deathwing, I'm sure, but I think that the questions surrounding the whole infinite dragon flight, bon, bronze dragon flight, um, and revolving around that story as opposed to it being on the outer edges of, of the, the greater world will be in the next expansion. Yeah, um, I think this expansion too. is going to focus more on the green dragon flight, um, particularly you know, when you're looking at Hygel and Ysera and things like that. I think it's going to, at the end, have an infant, you know, a big deal with red too. I mean, how there, it's the battle if you through Twilight Highlands with... Alex Draws on Deathwing, I think, is going to be a lot bigger than eventually what Ysera has. I think, I think it, um, it would tie in very well. Sorry, guys, let's go. I was, I was just going to say that for, for this particular one, what the, this, the current quests are hinting that it's going to involve Anachronos, who is always uh, Nosdormu's 2IC, uh, and it will be introducing Anachronos and his court of uh, dragons and dragonkin uh, as pretty much leading the bronze dragon flight in Nosdormu's stead. Well, it would make sense from a story perspective because if, if the Bronze Dragonflight and Infinite Dragonflight do appear to be a huge deal in taking down Deathwing, then obviously then they, everyone else who was involved in taking down Deathwing, Deathwing is going to turn around and sort of start asking questions of who these guys were and where they've come yeah. from, etc. I can see it being uh, a subject of, of a book similar to The Shattering as well. I can see them basing a, a novel around that. Mm. I'm very well, excited with, to see what's going to happen there. Well, with the bronze dragons, there's always the danger of time travel retconning. So, yeah, <laughs> push button for retcon. In, in all well, seriousness, I... in in that regard, having the time travel aspect of the bronze dragon flight lets them go back and redo bits of the story that they weren't happy with before, and just say, "Oh, <laughs> sorry to quote an oft-used phrase, but you know, a dragon wizard did it." <laughs> yeah, I think my only disappointment from seeing the the uh, quest text so far is that there's no real involvement of Chromie <laughs> as a <laughs> recurring character in this. So, I like which her. is a bit disappointing. Yeah, she rocks. I'm I'm currently reading the uh, the War of the Ancients uh, three book set, and so it, at the moment it feels like uh, what I'm reading and what I'm playing is, is sort of overlapping each other. Um, I it, it is confusing though because I I did try and catch myself up with the with the law being a late starter to wow I, I tried to catch up from all the wow one two and three games and uh, and then to suddenly start reading the, the the three books that changed everything slightly it was it was confusing always confusing to uh have to try and catch up um 
we're going to take a break from this uh, story and, and the news. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about our sponsor. Um, our sponsor, of course, is the great folks over at Audible. We do want to thank them for sponsoring this show. And um, we do have a lot of different uh, recommendations from our guests here. Um, the first person's recommendation that I want to kind of talk a little bit about uh, is from uh, Razorbug. Uh, you had wanted to recommend a book to us. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I was recommending uh, The Gone Away World. I, I read this book rather than listened to it. But um, I really, really enjoyed it. It's it's um, it's not exactly a work of, of high literature. It's just a good fun sci-fi, sci-fantasy, um, post-apocalyptic story. Um, it's in, without giving anything away. It's incredibly interestingly told, and about three quarters of the way through the book, the the twist kicks in, which changes the entire earlier sections earlier story of the book makes you view all the events in a totally different way and um i hadn't i hadn't seen that done in, in done properly and done well in a book uh especially one that was quite sort of light-hearted and didn't take itself necessarily too seriously um, and then by the end of the book um again i'd had a i'd got a whole new respect for the story and what the uh, what the author had tried to do um that being uh, nick harkaway um, so yeah, I can I can definitely recommend it, but uh, but it is very very twists and very uh, hidden surprises based. So I wouldn't want to give any uh, spoilers on that. Well, uh, we're actually gonna play a sample, so let's uh, let's play a few a few seconds of the sample, and uh, uh, give you a feel for what uh, the audible books sound like. Uh, so let's play a little sample of that one here. I knew a guy in the Go Away War who did just that. Dumped the network's prize Digi-7 in a latrine trench and hauled six civilians and a sergeant from a burning medical truck. Got the Queen's honour back home and a P-45 from his boss. He's in an institution now, is Micah Monroe, and every day two guys from the veterans' hospital come by and take him for a walk and make sure the medal's polished on its little stand by his bed. They're sweet old geezers, Harry and Hoyle, and they've got medals of their own, and they figure it's the least they can do for a man who lost his mind giving a damn. Harry's kid was in the medical truck, you see. One of the ones Micah couldn't reach. We stared at the screen and tried to make sense of what was on it. That's, uh, you know, I like the, the, the feel and, and the, um, the pacing of audiobooks from Audible. What do you guys think? I, I agree. I, I, most of the voiceovers and readers that they have are pretty good. Okay, well let's go. Let's go into your your uh, your selection uh, next, Azros. And you you would actually you actually bring up something we haven't actually mentioned on the show, and that is that not only do does Audible have lots of really good audiobooks, they also have a lot of audio plays and audio dramas. And the one you had chosen was a dramatized Star Wars. Is that right? Yep, it's the radio drama that they did um, of Star Wars. I think it was came out in '81, and for most people my age, they don't or our age or whoever's age now, they don't know what radio dramas are. Um, and you know, before TV dramas and a lot of things were the level that they are today, a lot of stuff was done on the radio this way. And the the radio drama that they did for each of the first three Star Wars movies, and I mean first three meaning chronologically, not you know episode one, two, and three, but. Um, they they were really well produced and they used the actual you know score and sound effects and things like that and they got other um at that point lesser known actors which but to today everybody pretty much should know them and um 
we got it. I remember listening to it in the car one cassette when we first got it, and but now it's of course in lovely digital form. So it's it's definitely worth a listen, and it takes the 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 story of each of the movies. And this one I picked was the first one, and takes it out to a you know I think close to ten hours or plus uh, radio drama. Um, and I'll actually be putting all of this in uh, in the chat for people to read who uh, who want to take a look at what what the recommendations are of our uh, of our group here. Um, and uh, next, I, I want to talk to uh, Gaz. You, you said that this is actually one that was recommended by your wife. You said right? Yeah, that's right. And that's um, William Gibson and his uh, novel Burning Chrome. My wife has been suggesting that I read a lot of the William Gibson books, uh, particularly around the the Spawn, uh, Sprawls, beg your pardon, series. Um, so things like pattern recognition, neuromancer, stuff like that, uh, in order to get a feel for 1980s and 1990s uh, cyberpunk novels. Uh, I was having a flick through ones that they had listed on Audible, and this was one of the... Uh, the top ones that they recommended and apparently burning chrome is a book of short stories from around that era so it sounds like it's going to be a uh, one that's well worth trying out and as it's an audiobook it means i'll be able to listen to it on the way into work so not having to uh, jostle with uh, carrying a book on the train or anything oh yeah i mean not having to carry a book on the tube where you have literally <laughs> Two centimeters of personal space. That's uh, that's a definite plus right there. Exactly. I mean, if you've uh, watched the film Johnny Mnemonic, uh, one of it's one of those um, Keanu Reeves movies. Johnny Mnemonic is based on one of the short stories in Burning Chrome, and I think Burning Chrome was uh, out in early 1980s. So, if you fancy getting a bit of cyberpunk history there, it's probably well worth giving it a go. All right, and I'm a huge fan of William Gibson. Um, from the first book of I, I read of his, um, I've all, I've loved all of his books that I've read. So definitely want to recommend uh, his books. Period, but uh, especially this one. Um, but uh, let's listen to a bit of a sample of uh, Burning Chrome. It was hot the night we burned Chrome. Out in the malls and plazas, moths were batting themselves to death against the neon. But in Bobby's loft. The only light came from a monitor screen and the green and red LEDs on the face of the Matrix simulator. I knew every chip in Bobby's simulator by heart. It looked like your workaday Ono Sendai 7, the Cyberspace 7, but I'd rebuilt it so many times that you'd have had a hard time finding a square millimeter of factory circuitry in all that silicon. We waited side by side in front of the simulator console, watching the time display in the screen's lower left corner. Go for it, I said when it was time. But Bobby was already there. And again, that is the sample of Burning Chrome. Uh, William Gibson is the author. Uh, definitely check, check that out. Really good audiobook. Uh, lastly, we have uh, MacGyver. You had a, a, another radio drama, radio play type book, right? Well, I wouldn't exactly call it a radio drama. Um, but digging around on Audible, I found that... Uh, I'm a huge fan of The Goon Show, which I don't know if your North American audience would be familiar with it, but uh, basically it was um, a radio show on the BBC in the 50s. Um, it had Spike Milligan, Peter Sellers, and Harry Seacombe in it, and it was a precursor to a lot of the, um, 
the comedy that you see these days in the vein of Monty Python, um, where it's very absurdist, um, things that you could only ever do on radio, and it's just sort of a, a bit of a comedy classic, and, and I've been a fan for years and years, and they're hard to come by sometimes, at least for a decent price, but uh, I've found these on Audible, and uh, I'll definitely be checking them out, because I, I just want to add more to my collection. They're absolutely hilarious. A certain type of humour, but it's one that I really love. Yeah, I've got to say I'm a huge Goon fan as well, and I didn't realise they were on Audible, but I, uh, I'd be seriously considering getting them now that I know that they're, they're, they are hilarious in a, in a truly British humour sense of way. They mental. certainly are. Yep. Yeah, got to agree with that. Fantastic. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, it's, and- it's, basic, it's basically the comedy of Spike Milligan in his absolute crazy manic that the sort of the almost the height of his career i would call it in a lot of ways um especially as far as radio goes it just it you, you can see where a lot of the humor from um these later uh, british comedy shows particularly things like monty python comes from when you listen to these yeah and we do want to recommend I mean, the best thing about audible is they're giving our listeners here at group quest a free trial that includes a free credit and I believe all of these books that we've recommended to you today are oh no sorry the the uh, the Gone Away World is actually a two credit book, uh, but Star Wars, The Burning Chrome, as well as The Goon Show, um, all of those are uh, are a one credit, so you can get those easily with uh, the trial. Just go to audibletrial.com/quest. That's audibletrial.com/quest for your free audiobook. And you can choose anything we've recommended here. You can go to the Dawn Forge website at thedawnforge.com. And we have a listing of all of the books that have been recommended across all of the shows on the, on the Dawn Forge network, including the Obscure Cast recommendations as well. Um, and uh, you can choose any of the books we recommend or any of the other 85,000 books, radio plays, and audio dramas they have there. So definitely check them out. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash quest. If anyone from the UK is after the uh, the world gone away, then uh, definitely head to the .com site, as despite the fact it's an English book and it's an English narration, the .co.uk doesn't seem to have it. Which is highly ironic. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a rights thing. It, it, they don't always have the rights to the, the books that, uh, that come out in different areas. Uh, um, and it's an unfortunate thing of, uh, of rights, but they do have a lot of different books to choose from, so definitely check them out. All right, so we have lots of other news to talk about. What do you guys think the effect of the PTR uh, data mine heirloom guild tabards is going to be? Uh, do you think that they're also, while they do that, going to increase the cap per day for rep? Because I don't know about you, but on my main, when I first was leveling, I hit that rep cap real quick. Well, it's a lot easier to hit that that cap when you're actually doing the level 80 to 85 stuff but once you hit level 85 it becomes an incredible chore to try to max out your guild rep or at least i've noticed and that's what's pushed me to play other tunes because it's like uh, i just can't be bothered to you know try to maintain or max out my guild rep every time so i'm kind of excited about tabards to help me with that the real question is what's what is the bonus of being exalted anymore? There's, you know, you can get most of the the good perks at honored, or it's uh, based off of your the guild level. Being exalted, there's other than, 
you know, the pet that you can get and whatever your title is. There's really not much of a perk to be honored to fo- to make people really focus on leveling that way other than just saying, oh, it's another rep I have focused off. So I think rather than focus on how to do that, make that easier right now, I think they should add, try to figure out how they can make it more attractive for people to focus on because there's a lot of people who just say, what's the point of really pushing for it anymore? I find it curious that... Um part of the the guild leveling or at least the guild reputation system was that they were trying to encourage people to stop guild hopping so you would stay with your guild and you would build them up as a unit and yet they're putting in place all of these things to make i suppose to de-incentivize um sticking with your guild because now well i guess it's not that much easier but now it's a bit easier to level up with your guild um they're sort of they've taken this tack of trying to prevent people from guild hopping and then they're going back to make it easier in a way to guild hop if that's what you decided to do i think it, i wonder if it's um to to associate guild rep with the player and the the player behind the guild the the character in the guild rather for players who have multiple tunes in the same guild um this way they feel that they as a person as a player have uh x rep with the guild rather than all their tunes be you know some of them being uh favored and exalted with with the with the guild that they're loyal to and the other two being completely unrecognized i wonder if it's to address that maybe quite probably i'm I'm curious to know whether if you're exalted with a guild and you buy one of these tabards whether you could then have a say a raiding tune in another guild and transfer the tabard to them and be able to build up rep with another guild other than the one you originally earned of uh, exalted with quicker with the heirloom tabard if it's an heirloom, it's account bound. It's account bound, man. I mean, you, you should be able to exactly. send it to whoever you want. So, see, yeah. I was assuming that they would make it uh, whichever guild, whichever guild you bought it with would the tabard would be for the lock to that guild. But if you could transfer, it, I see what you mean. That would discourage people to stay loyal to one guild. That's interesting. I I don't think it'd discourage them a lot because it's still a fair process to grind up rep with the guild. But it just seems to be an interesting contradiction in in policy i suppose i, no, I mean, I, this is, I, mean. I, I mean they're, they're addressing a concern and that's a good thing i mean uh, but it, it's just an interesting contradiction they're trying to cater to everyone and whenever you're trying to cater to everyone there's always something that doesn't go quite right yeah well it's going to flatten out and make it not as helpful for whatever the original distinction was that they were trying to do with it well, I, I think it may also have to do with, you know, some guilds have broken up because of this tier of rating. And if you got to honored with, you know, the guild that you started off in Cataclysm and then, you know, things turn belly up and you have to, you know, either create a new guild or join another guild, they, they don't want to penalize you too much for, you know, what happened beyond your control. So they're, they're right, trying but to... It's a- you can still use that. I mean, a lot of people who decide just to guild hop because, you know, whatever guild they're in isn't progressing fast enough for their taste or whatever. People who hop from guild to guild to guild will be able to abuse that just the same way that they'll be able to use that if, you know, their guild broke up or whatever. So, I mean, there's there's pluses and minuses on both sides. Yeah, well, I, the the whole guild hopping thing, I think, is it's a little bit of an overstatement. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to encourage guild hopping again, but it will definitely, you know, smooth out some of that reputation gains with guilds yeah. if if I, that does happen. I don't think you'll ever cure the, the kind of guild topic problem. If people are going to guild top, they'll guild top anyway. Uh, I think the, the most important thing to try and encourage people not to guild top is by uh, 
uh, making sure that you select your your raiders carefully and your guild members carefully rather than uh, having a complete open door policy um, I think that these kind of things don't really go either way to be honest right now most of the if you if you're joining a new guild and you want to get most of the perks that you want to get whether it's the cauldron recipes or other things like that you really only have to be honored which at most can take you two weeks to get to so at that point it's I, I still think they need to wait as far as what you get at revered or even exalted to make it you know worth people spending all the time especially on multiple characters repping their their characters up yeah but I th isn't it the case that once you've got the recipe for the cauldron once you don't have to get it again that's right so um, in, again in terms of guild hopping that kind of thing doesn't prevent you from guild hopping no, I, no, I was, I wasn't saying that it's for guild hopping, but I mean, if not everybody's character is going to be able to use everything that way, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, what I, I, what I was disappointed in regards to um, the guild leveling system, I thought in early, you know, when we originally heard about it, uh, was something that I thought had a lot of potential, but I think they, they really, really eliminated a lot of the potential that it had when they changed the system up a lot, like they did. It had a lot of ability for it to be a great system that people could use to um, really, you know, change up what they're doing. Um, and I'm hoping that they will kind of bring some of those features back that we originally heard about because being it, it just being a level, you know, uh, um, basically another like like Ariel in our chat room says another rep to grind uh, with a few perks here and there. Um, it, it doesn't really seem to me to be a, a great. Um, a great system as it is right now. I thought the old system that they were planning originally was much better. But again, I don't know what the problem is that they decided to, to scrap that idea. So um, what do you guys think about the guild challenges that they've said is going to be a feature of 4.1? Depends on they. I mean, if, if they tie it to rep and how it increases or how it, you know, if there's a new guild reward or things like that, I think it'll be good. But if it's just, you know, quests that are going to take a guild to complete, it's going to be like, what's... What's the benefit? What's the outcome of it, rather than just another time sink? Well, if it was a quest that would um, require the whole guild complete, then obviously it would depend on guild size, surely. Um, they they couldn't uh, make a quest that required, say, 50 members if or, or 100 members if uh, the smaller guilds would be excluded from it that way. Could they? Yeah. I, th I think that having guild challenges and things that encourage you to work together as a guild outside of normal environments like raid environments and heroic environments is a good thing because quite often you see these guilds that have got everyone online for 8pm Thursday night or 8pm Tuesday night to hit the raid environment but apart from that it's tumbleweeds and um, crickets. I think that anything that encourages people to play together outside of your standard raid times is fantastic. So, mm. As I, long I, as it doesn't become grindy, that's the problem. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd I'd like to see them. I don't want to get, have them go into the kind of you do your guild dailies or your guild weeklies. I'd like them to kind of mix it up a bit and uh, and make it a bit varied. But yeah, I think it could be great. I think the achievements that they added were pretty good. You know, for you know having a class of or a character with every race and class combo and stuff like that. It, it lets a lot of the guilds work on things like that rather than, you know, just grinding out whatever quests or whatever daily things that you have to do. I hope It'd the be nice if it, uh, Sorry, go on. 
I was going to say, I, I'm hoping that the guild, the guild challenge implementation will include challenges for, you know, virtually all levels or, at, you know, maybe, maybe at least a couple thresholds to help, you know, those much smaller guilds out there that, you know, may only have five or ten players active at any time, you know, help level their guild a little bit faster. And that, that's what I'm hoping for, because, you know, if you have a small guild, it takes forever to level your guild. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, and also that, yeah. that's that's actually what I was going to say. And and also, I hope it, um, I hope it, there's there's challenges and things to do for all levels of tune as well. Because uh, if you are trying to level a, a, a low level tune in a guild that, uh, like as was described, that only really gets together for a raid then until you hit end game content, you're not really going to be taking part of that. So it'd be nice if there were things that brought uh, like groups of lower level tunes together and gave them things to do outside of normal questing, etc. Um, while they're leveling up before they hit the raiding level. Yeah. And I hate to say, I'm going to be accused of drawing comparisons with Rift now, but uh, they do have this in that other game that we are not allowed to mention. Oh, 40, uh, 47 minutes. 47 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. 47 minutes, people. <laughs> 47 minutes before the first rift opened. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they do have this in that other game that we're not allowed to mention. And um, effectively, it is the case of uh, killing X number of types of mobs. So you might be tough to kill X number of undead as a guild or complete X number of quests as a guild. So you, you, it's like doing fishing achievements or stuff like that, where everyone can, can contribute towards it, whatever their kind of uh, character level or um, profession uh, skill. So I, I think it'll be pretty good. I think it'll be pretty good. Now back to World of Warcraft. <laughs> now that we've got our Rift version for the week. Um, do you guys think that Blizzard is likely to maybe raise that that cap of uh, of how, of the rep rep cap we have now at any point during the during this expansion? I mean, I would like to see it so that you don't have to um, constantly be running into that cap. I mean, I, I would like to be able to quest, and I, I mean, I don't have to. I don't have a cap on leveling up with uh, any other you know group. But again, I mean, I understand that I also don't, you know, I'm not going from level 80 to 85, level, you know, repping with the same group the entire time. They, you do lose the cap once you get to, what is it, 22 or something like that? Is that the, the daily cap does poof, yeah. Is that, that's the XP cap, not the rep cap, though. Oh. I, I don't know about the rep cap at that point, but I do know the XP cap at 83, or sorry, 23, uh, does, does go away. Hmm. I this think, is the rep think, cap individually with your guild, yes? I'm talking about the rep cap, uh, not the XP cap for your guild. Yep. Yeah, I think that that will remove. Uh, give it a couple of patches after these tabards are introduced, and I think that rep cap will go. I think the, the whole point about this was to stop people having uh, max level guilds two days after release. And I think that it's, it's proved to be nicely stretched out, and I think they'll remove that cap now. I don't know that I've ever run into the daily cap. I, I mean, I think it's good that they added in on the uh, your guild screen now that you can see what your weekly one is, but I don't know that I've ever actually run into a daily cap with that. Maybe I just haven't been 
working hard enough at it. Yeah, the the rep cap is a weekly cap, but it, it seems fairly limited. Yeah, and I and I'm, I get really tired of of constantly running into that as I'm as I'm doing quests. Especially since they added or they upped the uh, the amount that you get per rating for people that do rating. I know you know the, the rating group that I'm in is now ten to twelve, and just doing that ten to twelve, I can pretty much get to you know at least eighty percent or so. I want to say maybe I'm, my math is wrong, but. Um, of my of my cap just by rating alone, not doing anything else. Which I don't know if that's good or bad. It's just it is what it is. Mm. Mm. But then again, I think that a, mo- a, a fair chunk of us. I mean, I'm already revered with my guild, and I don't feel I've been pushing that hard. So, although they might want to raise the rep cap, will that have much of an effect on those guys who've been playing since uh, Cataclysm or or already, or will it just affect? Um, people who want to play uh, alts and so on. I think they've just tried to put in place a, a rep cap system uh, and tried to adapt that in the same way that you have um, rep grinds with factions. I mean, if you look at something like Therizane, there's only a certain number of daily quests you can do once you've reached the point where you can start doing daily quests. So you are, you are limited in how much rep you can gain with them per day in any case. Not if you and get the tavern. just... If you get the Thursday Tavern and do the dailies, you're un- you're unlimited as long as you just run dungeons until your eyes bleed. Well, that's probably why they're introducing the tabards for the guilds in the next yeah. patch. Hmm. Do you think those those tabards, if the guild tabard, do you think that will ca- cause you to gain rep with your guild in dungeons? I'm, I guess that's the only way that it's going to work. Well, because I can't see it working any other way. Yeah. Well, that's, the, that's the way. That's the way the um, the city tab. Uh, the city tabards and the um, faction tabards work now. So, yeah, basically, what the, the the tabards that have been data mined are say there's two of them. There's the illustrious guild tabard, which says you champion the cause of your guild. All guild reputation gains are increased by fifty percent. And then the renowned guild tabard, which says you champion your the cause of your guild. All guild reputation gains are increased by one hundred percent. But if you're not in a guild, not in a guild run. Will you still get rep with your guild? Is my question. And it doesn't say in a dungeon either. No, it's nothing with dungeons. Yeah, I I think that. I think it sits hand in hand with them saying that three and up are a guild run rather than four and up. So I I think it will be both of those things together to say um, you'll only get uh, the the multiplier in cases where you would normally get guild rep, but guild rep is now a three or more in a dungeon rather than four or more in a dungeon. Hmm. Well, I'm very interested to see how that goes. And I I definitely want to uh, definitely want to see where they go with that because, you know, the, the, the rep cap is the one thing that has always been so annoying to me about the new, new leveling system, because, you know, leveling my first 80, my first character at 85, I wasn't even 82 um, by the time I was hitting that cap where everything I gained from then on was nothing. Um, and that was really, really frustrating because I really wanted to be able to level that really high, keep leveling it as I went through. And I might have gotten a lot higher than I am right now if I had been able to do that because, unfortunately, I, I, was at, I got in and started playing that character significantly after they already fixed the, uh, the rep uh, issue back when the, game art, when the Cataclysm expansion launched. So... Uh, sadly, I was not one of the people who was able to benefit from that like others were. But what do you guys think is the likelihood that they are going to do that? 
um, you know, tie tie that all in and, and kind of make it so it's unlimited. Do you guys do you guys want them to do that? Do you guys think it'll be beneficial to leveling alts and stuff? Because, I mean, my level my level of alts don't hit the cap at all. I mean, what's a level 20, 20 going to do? I mean, you're getting one rep per quest. <laughs> I, I think it will probably come as a as a, uh, a hot fix or um, part of a content patch later on. Okay. Um, in that, initially, uh, I mean, you look at heirlooms and things like that. Initially, there was, uh, I believe that there was some sort of limit on how many heirlooms you could have at once or something like that. Or maybe there wasn't, but it was artificially limited in that you only had a certain number of badges which, with which to pick up um, the heirloom items. And eventually, it got to the point where it had progressed far enough along where people just wanted to rocket through their alts. And so, okay, well, fine, you can have as many heirlooms as you want on, and you can have your triple XP from your um, recruiter friend bonus and all of that kind of thing. And, you know, earn one level per quest almost. And it'll get to that point, I think. At the moment, they're artificially limiting it, but it'll get to the point where they say, okay, fine, guys, it's open slather. Just get as much XP as you want. Okay. As much rep as you want, I should say. All right. Now, um, one thing I wanted to bring up, I I've noticed this over, a over the last little while now. Is it me, and it may... Quite possibly me, but is the gaming community very seem very pessimistic? Other people, you know, when when Blizzard announced that Firelands wouldn't be in this raid, instead of believing what Blizzard said that uh, the the reason was that there the enough guilds hadn't progressed yet to make the new raid content really viable, um, a lot of people were saying no, Blizzard's just not ready. Their their design team's not ready, and um, you know, tried to find other reasons. Um, other than what could quite possibly be the truth. I mean, why do people feel like gaming companies are always lying to them? I think that for me personally, it feels like it felt a little like Blizzard were turning around and saying uh, that I was either not good enough or that I was being lazy as a raider. Uh, I know that's ridiculous, but it did, it did feel a bit like Blizzard are turning around and telling me off and saying I can't have any more until I've done what I... I've currently got it, it made me feel a bit you know a bit like I was not performing as I should be and I was thinking hang their, on a minute their <laughs> track record cold, this expansion cold. hasn't been that good <laughs> I mean when they Being when Ghostcrawler the came out office. yeah when, when Ghostcrawler came out and said heroics aren't hard learn to play and then within the next couple of days the patch notes came out on the PTR that they were going to be nerfing a bunch of them it's like what are you what are you guys doing you know it's and now it's like well we're not going to release Firelands because you guys aren't progressing far enough. And now we're just, I think a lot of people are waiting for the shoe to drop, but I, I don't know. I think a lot of people are now waiting and saying, well, is there going to be, you know, a buff to these instances or these raids? Like we got an ice crown because they think that we're not progressing fast enough. It's just, I think six, almost seven years of playing has made a lot of players super cynical. But see, yeah. Blizzard has, hasn't that... lied to us that much. They've always been fairly honest with us. It doesn't have to be lying for them, but it's it's all about PR. And when a lot of this stuff comes out that can be, you know, seen in a negative light or something like that. And I'm I'm the first person to always take what they say at face value, but I think a lot of the the uh, the wow public, especially you know on the forums or on Twitter and whatever, the their initial knee jerk response is just to be completely cynical about it and not trust a single thing that they say or do. I think so, to some extent is um, people don't realize that. Well, they perhaps do realize, but they don't always see that um, the game as they see it and the game as they experience it might be different for other people. Like, 
um, they may sit there and think, well, we, you know, we, we've risen to this challenge. You know, we're ready. We're, we've, we've raided this content and, and we're ready for the next, uh, the next step. Uh, and they would feel obviously that, that Blizzard are somehow cheating them by turning around and saying, well, you're obviously not. Uh, but on the other hand, if there are guilds and raid groups that are, that have been finding it difficult and do need more time to, uh, to work on other things, then they might find think that this patch is is a is a good thing because it's uh, it's some more content, some more story. But at the same time, um, they don't feel like they're they're being left behind by uh, what the rest of the community is doing. You also might find that um, it's it's the loudest, most cynical voices of the uh, for the most part the ones that are being heard as well, and it's not yeah. a majority opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the vocal minority opinion. That's what they've always done. <laughs> All right. Um, Nevik, I, I hear you need, need to talk more. So uh, I'm, I'm going to ask this one of you. Am I too trusting in Blizzard? Do I, do I trust them too much and, and believe too much that they are telling the truth? No, I don't think so. I, I, I think the whole, you know, Ghost Carl are coming out and s- stating that, you know, heroics are hard, but we're going to go in and tweak the dungeons a little bit I think people are over overstating that nerf. You know, they, they weren't necessarily, you know, flat out just straight across the board nerfs. There were a couple, but I mean, it was mainly just tweaking. They, those dungeons and those encounters weren't exactly what they envisioned to begin with, and the numbers weren't quite quite right. And they had overtuned a couple of bosses, and so they decided, well, you know what? Maybe we should go in and adjust some of these things so that the that the majority of players, you know, aren't pulling their hair out when they pug these dungeons, because I mean, you have to admit the vast majority of the player base doesn't doesn't go to the website. They don't go to the forums. They they don't they barely check anything. And if if they just you know say, well, no, nope, we're just going to leave it like it is, and you know, or even tune them up even more then you're going to start losing your player base again. They're going to go to other games. They're going to, you know, they're going to go back to console gaming or they're going to start playing casual games or whatever. No, so I think the it, changes that they made were really good. What, I think it was a confluence of events that really kind of didn't work. The fact that people wanted to pug them and they couldn't because, you know, whether the mechanics were too tough or, or whatever, plus the fact that people were still learning them. And nobody really took that into account. But luck of the draw wasn't working either. And they came out and said that. But the fact that Ghostcrawler came out and basically said, you guys are complaining about this when it's, you know, we mean them to be hard. I think it's not what he said, it's how he said it. And that it came across in a bad way. I think everything that they handled it well, except for kind of the PR aspect of that. I think the changes that were made are really good. But I think well, also they need to work on their um, their time, like making sure that one hand knows what the other's doing. Because, oh, yeah. like you said, Ghost Ghostcrawler came out and said, uh, "Well, we wanted to be a bit more of a challenge. You know, you're just going to have to rise to it." And then, <laughs> as you put it, sort yeah. of twenty seconds later, they're saying, "Oh no, actually, we we're going to make it easier for you." Yeah. I think the interesting thing for me is that um, heroic five bands is still pretty much an uneven uh, selection, depending on which one you get. You get some which are really nice and lighthearted and fun, some which are uh, a bit trickier and require a bit more planning. And then you get Stonecore, which seems to be evolving into a rerun of the Oculus. But, um, and I, I think that I thought we'd kind of gone beyond that now. 
But um, the other thing I find really interesting is queuing up for a heroic and doing my daily heroic and thinking, okay, yeah, this, is, this isn't too bad. And the selection of people you get in the looking for group queue for heroics. And then popping in and doing a normal. And it's just the, the, the quality of players that you get nowadays is even more pronounced. Previously, it felt that, okay, normals were for people who were gearing up to do heroics. But there's a huge segregation now in the player base between those that are running normals uh, and those that are running heroics, and it, it that surprises me. That really shocks me. Yeah, my, well, my I, I think it. I think it should be like that. Like like they said, heroics should be heroic. They should be. They should be the hardest thing that you can do in game, aside from heroic raids. They really should, and and I think that it it should be like that. You really should be at the peak of your game to play a heroic. Because they are heroic. That's what they are. And I, I mean, I certainly don't claim to be the greatest hunter in the world, but I'm quite happy doing normals until I feel like I'm ready to do a heroic. It's, it's when people feel that they're entitled to do a heroic because they were able to do it in Wrath. I think that's part of the problem. See, mm -hmm. I, I think that Blizzard, in saying that due to the fact that not enough people have progressed, they are not coming up with new great content, I don't, I don't take that as them insulting the community and saying you are, you guys aren't good enough yet. You know, you know, play harder, noob or whatever. You know, I, I don't see that as what they're saying. I I think they're just saying, due to the content and and the fact that nobody is, you know, or very very few people have gotten through it significantly. Um, they want to hold off, and yeah. I think a lot of people are taking that as an offense when I don't think Blizzard's meaning an offense by it. Oh, yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm, I'm not bored of the current content by any stretch of the imagination. I don't feel like I've raided it to death. I've got to be honest with you. So I'm not, it's not like I was at the end of the Nanax tier in Wrath, where I was screaming out for something, anything else to do apart from Naxxaramas. But Well, they stretched it, it out to the point where you weren't going into, you know, these raids in level 80 epics. You know, like you did, yeah. where I was reading, you know, Nax and Sunwall epics because we progressed so far and heroics were such a joke. Where now blues, you know, the blues that you get in heroics are really, you know, upgrades at that point. Exactly. And, you, know, you need to stretch that gearing process out. So I think they've done a good job with this tier of rating, and I don't think they need to release the new one. It was just the way the announcement made me feel was a bit like hang on, I'm not used to being t spoken to in this way by a games development company. What's going on? And it was, I know I'm laughing about it because I feel silly about how I feel. And I feel a bit like my reaction's a bit daft. But that, that's honestly for a moment how it made me feel. Well, I wonder if some of it is, um, is the wanting to make sure people are focused on the firelands. Like if it moves the story on in a really noticeable really like um, important way then releasing it when people are just starting to get bored of the current rating content is perfect timing because that means that everyone will be really keen to jump into the new raids and to experience the new story and the new lore but if they if they if they release it when the uh, people are still doing the older stuff and then if they really badly mistime it and then release it another raid um before people are, are, are finished with all the current content there's a danger that that people could skip from one of the first raids to say one of the the second or third tier raids and miss out the really important story aspects that's yeah. a super, I, super I, think you, I think you want to make sure that um or they at least want to make sure that 
new content and new raid levels and things like that aren't just a tick in the box. So it's like, oh, okay, right. New patch, yep, new raid, right, done with that raid, on to the next one, yep, on to that one. They want each level to be a self-contained sort of epic story on its own. And when you think about when they released TOC, um, not necessarily so soon after Ulduar, but before a whole lot of people had done Ulduar, a lot of people ended up just skipping it because they said, well, why should I do Ulduar when I can go straight to TOC and get the same stuff? And a lot of people missed out on all of that story and, and all of that work that they'd done until such time as they went back and looked at it later and said, hey, wow, this was really good. Why did we skip this? I really yeah, wish we had was, done this instead of TOC. That was kind of what I did because um, I came in just as Old War uh, dropped. I, I am a, for my sins a wrath baby and, and I went straight to TOC and, um, and then had to sort of go, oh, wait, it looks like I missed out one of the huge parts of the, uh, of the storyline. So I... I that, that definitely does happen. That's probably what they're trying to avoid. Well, yeah. the comparisons to, to, to talk and Eldorado, I think, are good. I think there's a lot of things that are people people are missing with that. As someone who, at that point, was super burned out, uh, the difference was that pushed people into talk when it came out. I'm not necessarily sure it's as timeline based as people want to say, but the fact that it was five bosses—I mean, six, seven, eight—if you count the first encounter being three bosses—and the fact that there was no trash. And you could just go in there and hammer through it really fast and at that point get upgrades really fast. Where Alduar was huge and just dealing with the trash, the encounters, optional bosses, all that sort of stuff. It was just it was it was just so huge on a physical sense. Whereas the idea of just going into talk, standing in the arena, rocking through those five encounters, and then even working on the heroic ones, if that's what your guild was doing, I think was a lot more appeasing to someone than, you know, constantly trudging through Alduar and all the different aspects of it, since it was such just a huge raid. I actually I think, think that I... the acceleration of that, um, that progress, where instead of having to uh, take a whole night out for your raid and having it done in, you know, an hour or so, and then, oh, that's it until next week, I think that actually contributed to some of the burnout that a lot of people had. Because... Yep. It, it got to the point where instead of being, I mean, raids have evolved. Raids used to be, you know, this really, well, they are still in a lot of cases, but they used to be this really huge, epic um, thing that took a lot of organization and a lot of planning. And when you finished it, it was like, wow, you know, that was incredible. But it took sort of uh, reduced the raid to the level of having a pug in a heroic that you just had to burn through because that's what came up. And when people had to go back and keep doing that every week, I think that really contributed to the burnout. In a bad I'll say this way. to my dying day, that, that Blizzard planned it that way because they knew that they wanted everybody and their mother to go through Ice Crown because Arthas was such a huge part of the lore that they wanted to have a way to get people from heroics to a raid tier where they could then go into Ice Crown without having to go through the other tiers quickly. I still think that that was definitely one of the biggest plans that they made so that people could experience Ice Crown. I think, yeah, they're, they're I, think gonna, I agree. They're, yeah, they're going to do that with Deathwing as well. They they want everybody to see Deathwing. And I think I think that what they're setting up is a pacing where we're going to get a raid tier every six months where it, it would make sense. You know, if Cataclysm launched in December, then we'd get Firelands and possibly War of the Ancients in May. And then that would lead us into possibly Deathwing, you know, right after BlizzCon in November. And yep. then, and then uh, you know, the next expansion, you know, summer of next year. So 
Yeah. I, I, oh. I think that's the pacing that they're striving for right now. Yeah. In fact, there's, there's two things. From it. I think, first of all, pushing Firelands out to 4.2 means that there's a good chance that we'll get a really nice build-up with minor patches between 4.1 and 4.2. So it'll almost like be like they had those minor content updates beforehand where you'd get quest hubs emerging or you get new NPCs patrolling around and new bits and pieces popping up in the game world in those minor patches leading up to 4.2. But also, yeah, I think you're quite right. I mean, didn't they slate in that uh, leaked product slide that they wanted to have uh, the fourth expansion out um, Q2 2012? So that would slot in quite nicely there. Yeah, and actually they have said that uh, 4.2 will be on the PCRs very soon after 4.1 goes live. So um, I would say likely within a couple of months of 4.1 going live, we will see 4.2 uh, on the on live servers. I would say a, a couple of weeks after 4.1 hits, we'll see the, the PCR for 4.2. Not, and not I, to try to like look in the base. crystal ball too much, If you look, if you think of it that way, then that would essentially mean 4.3 is probably going to be another small one with another five man. 4.4 would be, you know, whatever Deathwing is going to be essentially at that point. I mean, you, they could put it at that point, and then the timeline for that would definitely fit into that product slate that they had. I think we're making think an assumption uh, here that we're going to have four, um, four point releases like we did for Burning Crusade and, and for um, Wrath. Uh, there's nothing to say that we can't go all the way up to. 4.8, 4.9 by having smaller patches released quicker. I definitely agree. I, I would love to see. I would love to see us hit 4.10. Honestly, I mean, yeah, van, vanilla I, I went like for two years. Vanilla went for two years, which you know is longer than the uh, the stated um, expansion cycle that Blizzard have said. They've said that that was too long and they want to release them quicker. But um, I mean, they had 12 content patches. You know, at, at the end, just before Burning Crusade, that was 1.12. So yeah, I but don't a lot think of ones they put up were stuff that they meant to put in at launch that eventually didn't. I mean, they had a content patch for weather. I mean, if you put out a content patch for weather right now, there would be people with pitch parks in the street. <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> I one. think I, I think I prefer the, uh, the 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 idea of a slow ramp up to um, the end of the, this current expansion rather than having just the one. Uh, instance where it's like, okay, you're at this tier, you do this one instance over and over again, and then you're ready to move on to the next tier. I think having lots of small steps, and like a, a gradual ramp up of, of things, it, it could work a lot better. With only um, five uh, levels, of, of only five levels, people are going to want a new expansion. I think if you do anything more than 18 months, anything out past quarter one, quarter two of 2012, you're going to start losing people, especially if you're going to have games like, um, you know, Rift that are, sorry, if you keep, you know, that are going to get bigger and bigger, and if you're going to have especially the older public when that comes out in the fall, there's going to be some serious, serious competition there. They're going to have to do something to keep people entertained. Man, these Rift keeps opening faster and faster every time. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Rift's Rift take-up, honestly, has is, is, uh, surprised me in its intensity. Um, I know we weren't really meant to be talking about Rift, but I know that for for years, there's been all these competitors that come up. Oh, you know, Aeon will do it, and Warhammer Online will do it, and, and all of this sort of thing. Rift seems to have been the only one that's really given Blizzard a really big pause for thought, from what I've from what I've noticed. Not not just oh yeah, here's another competitor, let's release something, and and that'll keep people in. But it's more like 
oh, well, that isn't working. Gee, we'd better do something else. And it seems to have, although it has been highly anticipated, it seems to have caught, it's caught me at least by surprise in just how much interest there's been and how many people yeah. stay on after the first you know, intro or um, the, the trial period. With Cataclysm being the like the fastest selling and the highest selling PC game when they release that, that could have twofold effects. It could either make them think, well, we can afford to put out um, more expansions sooner than we we had planned because we can obviously, you know, we obviously have got the support and that we can shift these the copies of a new game, a new expansion. And then of course there is, like you say, that with with the two new MMOs coming out that that do look like they might. Uh, might be a challenge then it'd be interesting when the next expansion does come out to compare how well it does and if if, if it can can beat cataclysm when there's more players in the market yeah, yeah. I, and I, want, be- I want rift to be a great success i want rift to you know put blizzard into that pressure position where they have to up their game and keep us happy because yep. because i mean otherwise i mean if if we continue down this path where blizzard will you know take a year between major content patches to release an expansion and like yeah. we I had th- with Wrath. Competition is always a good thing. It encourages innovation and it, it uh, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, you know, these companies steal other people's ideas and, and it, the arguments go on both sides. But look, if, the, if somebody has a great idea and somebody wants to implement it into their game, I have no problem with that at all. If Rift comes up with a great idea and WoW takes it and puts it in there, that's great. And the converse is the same. If other games see WoW and take something great and make a success out of something that's in WoW, good luck to them. I think that uh, people need to be careful of asking for content uh, for expansions too quickly. Uh, I think that we've, we've traditionally been quite well fed with uh, having nice content patches that have contained a hefty amount of updates. I think that if we start saying that we want to have heavy expansions every year then it's going to lead people to believe hang on a minute we used to get this kind of stuff in free content updates and now we're being asked to pay for it the reason being for that that it, it makes people think well isn't that kind of an activision kind of thing and you can separate it out pretty well it's, it's a sony thing it's a sony thing the original everquest is now up to i think oh god i've almost lost count it's 18th expansion and i i, I was playing it um quite well, a long time ago and it was actually really really frustrating and it was one of the things that actually attracted me to wow was that um every six months sony would release a new um expansion for everquest and you'd barely have scratched getting into the the next one and if you wanted to level on it you, you didn't level an alt because there was just no time to do it because there was so much content and so much grinding to do for the current level and all of a sudden you'd almost get there where you could get to the point where you could see the end game stuff and oh oh no there's a new content patch or a new uh, not a content patch there's a new expansion damn now i've got to fork out another you know 15 20 for an expansion and it it really irritated me and they did that, that was that actually one of the star best wars things too. about wow they did that with star wars galaxies too but i think blizzard's been really good about the fact that they don't that their expansions are very specific to um, major upgrades, whether it's level cap increases, you know, or new races, or things like that, where their content patches are specific to content, where it's you get raids and you get dungeons and you get stuff like that, where you know profession increases and other things like that are always going to come from from the expansion. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be sad to see expansions come every every eighteen months with a five 
you know, a five level cap increase and profession increase and things like that. Yeah. Where and then if you you know all the rest of the content and stuff comes out in those content patches, I think that that would, that's the good thing if you could streamline it that way and just keep a constant stream of, of of content coming out just you know less more often i think it'll keep people keep everybody across the entire spectrum more happy yeah see that that's, yeah, the, think, the, that's think, the thing i'm sorry go ahead i think i think where they um that they're, they're they're doing it right at the moment where they uh release an expansion when they're going to fundamentally reintroduce or start introduce or reintroduce uh, a major part of the world like obviously each expansion so far has either brought in a new area a new continent or it's completely revamped the old world i think that's about the right level to be um to be aiming when you release a, a physical expansion of the game well blizzard certainly don't have any plans for contraction i mean they're they're releasing new new uh language conversions everywhere at the moment and i mean this is this is a game that is by no means new this is a, a quite mature game now, and they're still converting it to new languages and releasing it in new countries and places like that. Um, it's going to be around for a long time yet. I, I just wanted to interrupt this uh, for two things. Uh, first off, uh, I want to thank my fiance for bringing me an awesome piece of chocolate cake. And uh, <laughs> Nevik, the, is it, this, is, this all considers your revenge upon me. The chat room would let you know what you're drinking. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm. I was drinking a, a chupaca, chup, chupacabra. It's a Mexican beer. Okay. Um, we're we're going to take a break from the news one more time here. We have one more sponsor to talk about. The Group Quest podcast is sponsored by Doghouse Systems, computers that you know are going to last you a long time. Visit them at DonghouseSystems.com for great desktop and laptop systems for gamers starting at around $1,200. When you buy a new computer and use the code Azeroth, you'll even get a code for $25 towards some great Jinx apparel. Upgrade your gear today at DonghouseSystems.com and let them know you heard about them from All Things Azeroth and the Group Quest podcast. Okay, so we've talked enough about 4.1 and, and patches and expansions and, and that R word we can't mention again because no, too soon. Um <laughs> But uh, there's a couple of things I did want to bring up here. Um, the the first one was the story about uh, the the rumor, at least, that Blizzard and Tokyo Pop will be uh, ceasing their business partnership to produce manga for the World of Warcraft and their other games. What do you guys think this means for the future of the mangas? Do you think there's another company out there that Blizzard can team up with to keep that that theme going and those stories going? I don't know that there's actually be one company. I reckon that there might be several. I mean, I can't see why they should put all of their eggs in one basket. If they can license the Warcraft name and the universe to more than one company, why shouldn't they? I mean, it'll just mean more manga for the fans. And as long as it's of good quality, then um, I can't see a problem with that. Yeah, and I think that they um, they could potentially expand their audience by releasing with a western art a western comic label as well be it an indie or one of the big two you know dc or marvel um and then there's always franchise tie-ins with everything else that they do um like you say you know if they can license their universe and uh, then it can be expanded in all sorts of different ways in different directions do you think that dc can like does dc have a history of producing good manga like i don't want comic books great that they're releasing the curse of the worgen and that's nice and all that i like the manga because they're a nice they're a thicker book they're um a different story style um the art style is very different 
Um, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for myself. Well, I think well, that, they, that DC definitely have um, a good track record releasing larger, sort of more graphic novel driven stories than, than simply uh, weekly comic books. I mean, yeah, the, the art style is going to be very different, but then there's going to be an audience that um, prefers that other art style. So if they had both happening at the same time, um, rather than just just manga or just a Western comic, then um, it might encourage a different audience who then may pick up uh, the mangas or the, the Western art form comics, uh, having read the one that they find more and more um, able to uh, consume if that makes any sense it might it might lead people uh, it might be yet another way to lead them into the world of warcraft universe or it could have you know maybe the mangas haven't been doing as well as they would have hoped in order to keep that division going you know maybe the sales haven't been all that great um obviously i don't have any sales numbers in front of me but i i've i tried to track down you know the curse of the worgen comic and i went to three different comic books and comic book stores and none of only one of them had one and it's it's not for the popularity of it it's most of the comic guys were like huh what's that oh okay you know i well at least in my area warcraft probably isn't that popular but it i i think there's the possibility that you know they're like oh well you know we we thought this would be cool but it didn't work out just just the way that we thought it would. Yeah. So that I think that part of the problem is the real variable quality that you get from Warcraft's printed media at the moment. The manga itself has been really variable, with some uh, of the manga books being really very good stories, and some like the, the Mage class book that they produce being absolutely dire. And I think that's reflected also in their novels as well, in, in some books being like The Shattering being absolutely incredible stories but others not being so great and also with the Warcraft magazine uh, still struggling out there compared to a lot of the online media that we can get hold of I think that they I didn't even they, know there was a Warcraft magazine <laughs> yes. I've never yeah, even heard of that <laughs> I'm actually surprised Warcraft. that you missed that that was launched to uh, quite a lot of fanfare um, all three issues of it yeah there were there were there have been three issues of it um and the fourth issue is has been kind of like in limbo for some time now. And I, I just feel that this, the, the guys who are producing that one are probably struggling for content that isn't gazumped pretty quickly with um, online updates and online news. And I think that they're, they're struggling to find what works for Warcraft and what doesn't work for Warcraft. I think the the written fiction works very well. I think that comic books are a bit more of a struggle unless they're in compendium format, a bit like Watchmen and, and other similar graphic novels rather than uh, slimline comic books. Well, you have as, to look as, at people it like... are, um, as people are mentioning in the chat room, um, there's also possibly a rights issue in that... Um, uh, if they license the comic content to, say, DC, uh, who are also a division of uh, AOL Time Warner, and uh, Warner Brothers is the one currently holding the rights to the Warcraft movie, it might be a case of the, tr the, 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 the Warcraft movie uh, rights owners are trying to sort of make sure that all of the content published in the WoW universe is done by one 
uh, one house. I mean, I'm not sure that's a good thing, but it certainly sounds like something that the the lawyers of various places would like that they be the sole distributor of Warcraft stuff outside of online and, and gaming. And I can kind of think that makes sense. I just feel that the the Tokyo Pop manga have been very variable quality. I think that Curse of the Wargun, it's a nice idea, but it's far too slim to reach that mass audience. I don't think a lot of comic books, it's a real struggle to get it in the UK at all. I've been searching for it for several months and I've not managed to find it. Whereas I can I, pick I up- have the same problem down here. I think part of the problem is that when you call it the Warcraft manga, um, it's viewed with a certain point of view as, oh, it's manga, it's Japanese, it's, it's foreign, and it goes in the weird Japanese foreign section. Where, I mean, I've, I've actually got the Warcraft Legends Volume 5 actually in my hands at the moment. And, yes, some of it is very traditionally manga-drawn and, and very Japanese. I'm thinking of um, particularly the, not so much the Warrior United story. I'll just have a quick look here. Uh, the first Guardian story is a very. It, it looks just like a manga TV show. It, it's got the uh, you know the, the typical Japanese, the huge eyes, um, the uh, the big whooshing and and calling out of spell names, all of that sort of thing. And then you look at uh, another story further on, uh, Nightmares, which was actually written by Knack um, and penciled and and drawn by. It looks more like Western artists, and the drawing style is completely different and much more Western. But it's still lumped in with the same manga book, and thus it's kept in the manga section. It has a wide audience, but it needs to be classified better and promoted, not just as a manga. I think I'm not even I'm not even sure it's that because I mean, um, as Gaswell have had the same thing, but there's there's only one or two major country-wide distributors of sci-fi and and comics uh, in the UK. Um, but but they generally do a great job with stocking stuff. But even I mean, there's there's several big uh, successful manga only um, stores in London where I am uh, that that have a whole host of really obscure, hard to get to, hard to get at manga. Who I mean, I've checked there and they still haven't heard of it. They they still don't stock it. It's almost too, um, too not not manga enough to be in the proper manga stores and too manga to be in the comic book shops. It's, it's, it seems to have just slipped it's through in the that gap. Void zone. Yeah. It's in the void zone in the center. <laughs> if you it's look at it from a business perspective, you have to look at it as the video game niche and then people who want to go deeper into video game lore niche and then those people who are interested in the Japanese art of, of manga niche. So that's like you keep pairing off your <laughs> your crowd base or your you know, the people that would buy it more and more and more and at that point it's like, well, okay, now how many people do we have that are actually gonna spend money on this to make it a profitable thing? Because as much as we all want to think with Sunshine and Lollipops it was just gonna do that to make us all happy, it all comes down to dollars and cents. Yeah, well, uh, think, to some extent, that might be what, what I was saying about if they had multiple comic uh, book publishers putting stuff out, because they could then put out both a a manga uh, that appealed to the the niche that, that consumes that style of art, and then at the same time they could put out one that would appeal more to the people fans of Western style art. But that that then might tempt them to start exploring the other the other genres. Yeah, I think to be honest. This kind of all shows that there's a huge issue with trying to ship a physical product into people's hands. 
uh, especially when you are a multinational franchise that has global reach and global and a global fan base. And even just something as simple as selling a manga book, it's a difficult thing to do and you've got to ensure it gets to umpteen different countries. I'm amazed that they don't support more either selling it in their own online Blizzard stores or selling them digitally via the Kindle or stuff like that. I think that comics, novels, all those kind of stuff are absolutely right for selling as digital products, and yet it doesn't seem to happen. If it weren't yeah, for the not, DC Comics or, or Comixology, I wouldn't have gotten the Curse of the War in comic books. I mean, Same here. Yeah, it's not worth it. Like the comic stores, when you go into those, there's one by where I work, and to try to get even if you want back issues, because for me I'm the kind of guy where if I like one issue of something, then I'm gonna totally go OCD and want to get every issue that they ever had of that. And then it's one of those things where, well, they're only X amount produced, and it's gonna cost us this much to bring it in, and it just becomes a chore to get it. And it's like why, why waste time? It's, it's not even like people aren't already distributing that way, though, because, I mean, the, um, certainly with the iPad, I, I've seen Marvel and DC Comics publishing on the iPad, and they have re- made real great use of that, that new platform. They, they've, it's already, all that is already being done. It, they, Blizzard just needs to uptake and release their own versions. I mean, not selling it through it's their perfect own... perfect medium for it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So um, what do you guys think about perhaps Cryptozoic taking up that mantle and... Uh, since they already work with the art for the TCG, just expanding what they do into another other line of products. I don't know why Cryptic Zoic even exists outside of Blizzard. It's it's such one of those things where it's like, well, it was founded by Blizzard employees, and they have they still have the direct connect to Blizzard. It's like, it's it's just there as an outside company just for show. I, I think I, they might as well be a, a division of Blizzard to me. I really think that Cryptozoic are currently doing TCG. I am expecting them to do things like mini games for use in WoW, mini games for iPhone. So if you if you want to do your crafting professions, you might get kind of Fable-esque crafting mini games on your iPhone. I'm also expecting them to start producing Facebook games and so on as well. So any kind of new game that's released by Blizzard or potentially even Activision or Blizzard, you'd get a whole range of TCG stuff, Facebook game stuff, iPhone game stuff, and so on, endorsing and sitting alongside that. That really worries me. I mean, I've only gone by Farmville and, and Mafia Wars and things like that, but <laughs> I would hate to see them do that to Warcraft. <laughs> don't do it, <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah, because that Warcraft makes... cartoon series really looked good. Thumbs down. <laughs> Warcraft the Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah. Oh, no, don't say that. The, the only way that a Warcraft cartoon would work as if the quality of the of the animation was at least equivalent to the cutscenes in Warcraft 3. At least. And, and if they could get Chris Matheson to voice everything like he does right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, to be perfectly honest, the idea of a Warcraft cartoon these days, I mean, people go, oh, cartoons, it's for kids. You have a look at some of the cartoons that are put on these days. I really should say animated shows. The story writing and the animation... And everything is incredibly good quality. And yep. it's not always just for kids. So but it could be then, done. It would have to be very carefully done, but it could be done. But then you look at things like they have done, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really make people cry, Thundercats. They're re-releasing oh. that. And, <laughs> <laughs> and the amount of so, soft Evo memories. Cats. That people, 
Yeah, the amount of memories that people have of, of Thundercats and going, that was a great cartoon series, and they've just destroyed it all. Well, that's what I think could happen with a Facebook game. I mean, I mean, it would even sort of destroy their ethos of never paying real money for in-game content because, sorry, in-game items because I mean that's pretty much how the Facebook games work. Um, the thing is, though, Warcraft is an ongoing thing rather than being a something that happened in the in the past and a line was drawn under. So I don't think there'd be too much a, a cartoon would damage the, the franchise too much. But what it might do is rush it along. Because they'd have to be coming out with new story ideas much faster than they could actually tell in game. They'd be just telling them all on the show. Yeah, I, I think that. I think going back to the the main subject, I think we will see Cryptozoic becoming a. What can we? What other stuff can we make from this franchise? And I really wouldn't be surprised if when you see Titan being launched in a few years' time, that they say, well, we've got Titan, we've got Titan the TCG, we've got Titan the Facebook game, we've got Titan the tabletop game, Titan the role-playing game. What if uh, Titan, Titan flops, though? You know what I mean? Not that that's an actual possibility, but let's say for just for giggles that you know Titan would flop, and then you're like, well, they invested all this stuff outside of it, and then nobody, it doesn't have the success that Warcraft does. So then suddenly they're they've just spent so much money. I I don't know that they would do that right off the bat. I think they would still dip, you know, if it's supposed to be a sci-fi IP like everybody's rumored it to be. I think they're gonna have to be a lot more careful because. Sci-fi IPs like that aren't going to have the same draw that I think, you know, the fantasy IPs will be like Warcraft has, especially since it's had, well, maybe less people, but it still has the draw from Warcraft 1, 2, and 3. Mm. And do do we really want that audience coming into World of Warcraft? I mean, we already have enough of the, you know, the Alliance babies or, or you know, the Blood Elf babies, that perception. Do we really need to perpetuate that any further? I just... I'm mindful of the fact that Blizzard is now part of Activision, and Activision would be looking at all this and going, mmm, money, and rubbing their hands together in glee. So, Especially if their Call of Duty franchise goes down you know, with Infinity Ward problems. So, I, I, I would like to say it'll never happen in a million years, but I can't honestly put my hand on my heart and say it'll never happen. All right, so uh, one more topic that I want to talk about, um, and uh, what I caught from this last topic was very specific, but generally the uh, the talk that uh, Tom Chilton did at the GDC conference, he talked a little bit about Cataclysm and what kind of stuff they did for it. Now, I noticed that he had a problem with, he felt that the Desolus revamp didn't go very far, and... I recall uh, that Jeff Kaplan previously said that he didn't like Desolus as it was. What is it with the Blizzard devs not liking Desolus? If they don't like it so damn much, why the hell don't they just get rid of it? I don't know that you can get rid of an entire zone without introducing a World of War nuclear weapon. Or I think Well, actually, that bit just north of Stormwind seems to have disappeared into the ocean. That's true. So it could, it could be done. They could, I think they, they have they a special place in our heart for the Kodo graveyard. Yeah, I, I think they could quite easily just send Deathwing to obliterate the entire zone and take Moradol out with it, and I would have been very happy with that. I think that I'm not too upset with Desolus, but I hate Moradon with a passion, and if the sacrifice of losing Moradon was that Desolus was collateral damage, then I don't really care. 
But, uh, <laughs> I'm actually surprised that they didn't go as far as they did with changing it. I because uh, when they said, "Oh, you know, new life," when they showed that video of Liz, "Oh, new life springs out of places that were old," and we saw, I thought, "Oh, beautiful, desolate isn't going to be this pathetic wasteland that's completely." the same color and there's nothing to do there and wow this will be different and it was just that tiny little bit in the middle and i thought hmm kind of wanted a bit more is it bad to have a zone where there's really just nothing like the crystal song forest of you know of old world i I don't i mean the reason (sighs) well Dalaran was there but i mean i don't i don't see a problem with just having a zone where it's just there for whether it's herbing or whatever you know you don't have to have lore based heavy content in every zone like like maybe that's I, th- I think the problem was there were far too many at least on Kalimdor there were far too many desert wasteland areas you had Silithus Tanaris and Desolus plus you could probably include part of the barons in that as well because that was fairly right and, and Azara well Azara was a bit different in that there was nothing there but it was it was very lush but you know, it was just a little bit of an overload on the, the wasted desert landscape. But if that's, I mean, if and this is where I guess it comes into play, where if you look at the zone, you know, it's like, or the, the world as it is, like you have weather based by zone, which from a science point of view doesn't really make sense. Then again, you know, we're shooting fireballs out of our hands, so whatever. <laughs> but, you know, it... Like, if that's how the, the landmass is supposed to be, that's how the landmass is supposed to be. I mean, most of... I was surprised that they were able to break up Northern. When when I first heard they were going to do Northern, I'm like, well, better get my snowshoes out. But, you know, you have know, places like Sholazar. So I, I don't know. I don't know how you break it up with still trying to fit in all the story that they want to fit in. Could that be coming up in new new content, like in later patches? Like as They're already saying that they're going to change the world as we make a difference in it. So maybe as we... as as we in game start to get more control over the elements and um, and start to to tip the scale back in our favour. Then maybe the shamans and the druids, shamans and druids, sorry, uh, would um, would would be able to sort of you know, so, bring new so light. It, it's, it's fine, shaman, shaman, it's fine, it's shaman. So do you think that? <laughs> do you do you think that as as we make the world a better place, that Desolus will sink beneath the waves? Because that's I, I think this or possibly. I, be I think this would be. Sorry, go on. Uh, well, I was just—I I, I had finished. I mean, like basically, the, the, the shamans and trades would be able to regrow new life from the desolus, like um, bring it back into. A, and it could even be the whole, uh, one zone could even be a whole content patch in that you could have new five mans and new raids in this area, and it marks a, a milestone of, of us taking back Azeroth from the de- from the destructive elements, maybe. And then you're these, gonna have the same people complaining that you're just retreading old content because it's used in the yeah. same zone. You know, it's a, it's a cyclical <laughs> these, these argument. These would be very good. These would be very good candidates, I think, for the interim content patches that I was thinking about earlier. Where yeah. instead of having large content patches, you have you know a, a 4.1, a 4.2, 4.3, and you know up to 4. Point whatever. Where these kind of little changes, well, then as far as the world goes they're little changes but as as far as development goes i'm sure they're not little changes where these things could could be introduced as time goes on um, and using and phasing it's been done before. Even, using phasing you, they wouldn't even have to uh to suddenly spring this on people who who haven't got to that point yet it could be a desolus for for people who are just coming into the the game and then for other people who've already felt that they've made an impact on the story it could suddenly over time yeah, I, be phased I, I like to change that. 
I like the idea. If you if you start off as a new character, you see desolate as it is now, and if you go back there as a level eighty five, you see this wonderful coral reef instead. <laughs> It'll be an interesting way of doing it. I I was actually a fan of the Crusaders Colosseum style, where originally it was nothing, and then they were building it, and then when finally at the end it was it was uh, complete, and that involved us getting involved and helping to build it by going out and collecting the rocks and the and the other stuff that we had to for the goblins who were building it. Yeah, I, I really like was... the game. Feels like it's feels like I'm making an impact on the game world. I think I, I really enjoy the game more when when I can see that. All right, well let's uh, let's move on to our last topic since people in the chat seems to want us to to hear us talk about this. What do you think about the opening of Old Iron Forge and what kind of storyline do you think they will pre- present regarding opening that area up and Maybe he's questing in there. Oh, old Iron Forge. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Nothing else. I looked at. I looked at patch four point one. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Firelands. Yep. Yep. That's great. Okay. Yeah. This is supposed to be old Iron Forge. Yay! I I just had a complete. I just had a complete meltdown at that because my my characters on on Horde side I play Torin, but on Alliance side I every character I have except for one Worgen is a dwarf, and I just. I, I'm a complete dwarf nut. I love this story, and I've been wanting to break into Old Iron Forge since I first started playing the game and started reading about the extended universe. And this has just been an absolute hey moment for me. Yeah, fantastic. I think it's fantastic. Finally, you won't have to polymorph, get feared, and end up bugging your way into Old Iron Forge anymore. Not that I ever did that when I was. <laughs> I just want to know what what the deal with. Magni is going to be, you know, is it really just a cop-out way for them to kill off one Alliance uh, leader, like, in a totally garbage way, unlike what happened with Karen, where is he actually going to come back, or are they just trying to bring the other dwarves in? I don't know. I'd like to know what they're going to do with it. Maybe I'm just, again, the cynic of the group, but what's what's the benefit of them putting it in? You know, why are they going to put this in if it's just going to be there for people to walk around and take a look at? I'm hoping he's going to be a mining nerd. No. There is to be no <laughs> mining of Magni Bronzebeard. N- Nevik, do you, do you ever <laughs> want to be on this show again? Do you ever... I should I be kneeling and weeping before uh, for poor Magni? To, to be fair, I think as a dwarf, it's the way he'd want to go. <laughs> no. He'd no. probably be preferred... Uh, he would prefer to be made into a beer and drunk. If anything was to be done. <laughs> And anyways, I think that, I, I think that's going to be at the end of the show here. Uh, so uh, first off, Azros, how can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at ASROS. Okay. And MacGyver? Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at, at Groran, that's G-R-O-R-I-N, and I play in game on the Death from our Realm, which is Oceanic, in a guild called Mortis Legio, as a dwarf. All right. And uh, Gaz, I hear you have a podcast or something, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at GamerGaz. You can also find me on my blog, which is manaobscura.com. And I also do a podcast called ObscureCast, which you can find at obscurecast.com. Which is part of the Don Forge Network. Indeed. <laughs> not, to, <laughs> not to hint or anything. Um, and Nevik, how about you? Well, I'm on Twitter at Nevik James. That's N-E-V-I-K-J-A-M-E-S. And you can find me 
on the Twisted Nether Network, not the Dawn Forge Productions, at the Overlords, which you can find at overlord.twistednether.net. And I have a blog that I haven't updated in over a month, but I still intend to keep it going. And that can be found at nevixnotebook.com. All right. Um, and, and yeah, one, one day I'm sure I'll like purchase the, the Twisted Nether Blogcast Network and you know bring, bring all the shows over. <laughs> one day. And then you'll rule the universe. Indeed, indeed. I will, I will rule the Warcraft universe. Uh, Razorbug. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, that's uh, RZBG. Um, you can find me in Dawnforge uh, show chat rooms randomly popping up and saying nonsense. Uh, and you can also find me in game playing a dwarf, a dwarf solidarity there. Uh, that's on EU Realm Blades Edge and in a guild called Allegiance. Awesome. Well, uh, you, can all, you can find me on uh, Twitter as Medros, uh, Dawnforge, uh, Group Quest, uh, All Things As, um, and lots of other accounts. Uh, some of which are secrets. <laughs> Do you get an in-game achievement for having the most uh, Twitter accounts? I should. I so should. There should definitely be an in-game Twitter achievement for having the most lore characters on Twitter. I wouldn't win, but I know who. I'm pretty sure I know who would. So, um, but uh, yeah, definitely check out the Dawn Forge Network. Uh, all of our shows are listed at dawnforgeshows.com. And, uh, yeah, definitely check those out. Uh, there'll be a contest coming up in the month of April involving all of the Dawn Forge shows. Uh, and there'll be lots of cool prizes to win. Uh, we're going to have some Tavern Craft mugs. We're going to have some uh, Mumble Time from MMO Mumble and, uh, and more. So definitely check that out. And we'll see you next week for another Group Quest podcast. And, uh, yeah, so take care and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to GroupQuest. This is your announcer, David Grizzly-Smith. We look forward to your comments at our website, thegroupquest.com. Theme music for the show is Intended Force, from Kevin MacLeod of Encompatech.com. This program is copyright 2009 through 2011 by Don Forge Productions, and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. This has been a Dawn Forge production, copyright 2011. Find great podcasts and more at thedawnforge.com.